If you're struggling to lose weight, you've probably heard about weight loss medications like Wigovi or ZepBound, and you might be wondering if they're right for you. Meet Plush Care, a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. If you qualify, they can safely prescribe you medication from the comfort of your own home. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. But first, let's kick it off now with American visitors coming across the border into Canada. Now, there's been a lot of attention on people using that so-called, quote-unquote, Alaska loophole at the border. You cross the border in your car, you tell the person at the border officer, oh, don't worry, I'm just going to Alaska, and then you go on vacay in B.C. instead. We don't want this, not with the COVID numbers in south of the border in the United States. But what about Americans coming into British Columbia by boat? Could they be coming into B.C. waters? Let's check in now with George Creek. He represents the Council of B.C. Yacht Clubs, and this is high on their radar. George, thanks a lot for coming on today. My pleasure, Mike. I'm glad to be invited. Okay, you bet. Now tell me about um, what you guys are doing there at the Council of B.C. Yacht Clubs uh, when it comes to uh, unauthorized American vessels in our waters. Well, uh, basically, the council, which represents about 50 uh, boating organizations in B.C., uh, are very concerned about the uh, uh, spread of co- uh, co-virus in our communities, uh, your town, my town. And uh, we have been, there's a group of seven of us, uh, retired uh, boaters, uh, but we're still active in the com- uh, boating community, uh, decided to use the uh, marine traffic uh, website, and track uh, vessels that use the AIS, which is the Automatic Identification System. And uh, as I talk to you right now, I found 12 U.S. vessels in Canadian waters this morning. Wow. uh, Wow. That have been here for some time. Uh, Some are moving. Some are at docks. Uh, We don't know. And what we've done is when we spot these, uh, we phoned, uh, they, they're one of our per, uh, uh, people um, has a contact at the CBSA, phones in the details, and after that we don't know, because CBSA nor the RCMP share what their actions are. CBSA is Canada Border Services Agency, right? That's correct. That's okay. correct. Now, yeah. the, uh, I just, as, as I was waiting for this call, uh, we got a letter from the Minister of Transport, Mark Garneau. And in part, it says the government of Canada has also taken measures to limit the spread of COVID-19 in maritime community. CBSA continues to enforce the prohibition on U.S. and foreign pleasure craft from crossing the border into Canada for tourism and recreational purposes. Right. That said, foreign vessels can still go from one part outside of Canada to another part outside of Canada, i.e. Oh. the Alaska thing. Oh, the Alaska loophole. Yep. They okay, are not so allowed to dock or anchor in Canada, and their yeah. transit must be direct, continuous, uninterrupted, and follow the most reasonable route. Well, that's uh. right from the Minister of Transport letter today. Okay, have you guys found any American vessels or confirmed that any American vessels are in B.C. waters with illegally or they're skirting the uh, the quarantine rules or they're not supposed to be here or they're doing a vacay in BC when they shouldn't be have you found actually found any of them oh yes yes wow. yes yes we've uh, uh, one of the uh, things is that this is uh, what we're looking at is live 
It's, it's real time. So yeah. when we see a vessel that is off of uh, West Pender or North Pender Island, that is where it is right now at this moment. And it's the U.S. flag re- vessel traveling north. And so mm-hmm. we're saying, whoa, wait a minute, why is that there? This yeah. particular one is called Boat Isvata. It's traveling north at four, 5.2 knots. Looks like it's heading towards maybe Ganges. Oh, uh, maybe they're maybe to, they're maybe they're maybe they're just on their way to Alaska. That window is closed because the uh, weather. Oh. The first the, within the next two weeks, the weather window for north and south transit of uh, pleasure boats in the uh, uh, from Alaska is basically closed because of weather conditions. So if people go to Alaska, they go in April and May, come yeah. back in July, August. Yeah. Uh, but these boats have been hanging around our waters for quite a long time. But, you know, we, we report to the CBSA, and um, uh, we, we feel we're kind of doing our, our, what we're, we're obliged to do. And these are only the vessels we can see yeah. online. There are probably double that, maybe triple that, that don't have this system. Yeah, the automatic identification system. I guess that's what you, you've on your boat. You've got some kind of automatic transponder that that signals exactly where you are. It, that it, that is the uh, the uh, the purpose of it. Yeah. A good analogy. It's yeah. effectively a, a collision avoidance. Oh yeah, right. For, for vessels, so that if you got your if you have AIS on your vessel, you can see where all the other AIS equipped vessels are. Okay. But those that aren't, they don't show up. Okay, I'm glad you guys are sort of standing on guard for Canada here, just like it, just like it says in the national anthem. I, I, this, this is a good thing. But um, do you guys, let's say you spot an American vessel uh, on the water, would you actually go up to them? And, nope, and, nope, and, nope, okay. nope. This is not non-confrontational. Okay. We are just alerting the authorities yep. of what we see, where, when, and it's up to them to decide what they do. It's interesting to note that uh, while this prohibition is uh, uh, in letter form, it's also on the CBSA uh, uh, website, it's also a note on the U.S. Customs website about not going into Canada, that the border is closed. Right. And so all of that is, is being, well, in, in some reca- in many cases, disregarded. Do you no. think so? Like, George, how, how big do you think this is? I mean, maybe some of these boats are, are in our waters and they're, they have every right to be here. Maybe they were here before the pandemic broke out. Maybe they're on their way to Alaska or whatever, although I take your point about the weather conditions. Like, well, do you, how big, they, how big do you think this is? That, uh, U.S. registered that uh, pretty much permanently in Canada. So the yeah, owners right. come from the States yeah. and go to their boats and go boating in Canada. Great. Good. No problem. But how are they getting through the border by car or plane? That border is closed to recreational, non-essential travel. Okay, so how big do you think this is? Do you think there are, there are Americans kind of skirting the rules? Oh, yes. Yeah. And I have a picture of a boat that was at the dock at Wallace Island Marine Park, which is just off Salt Spring. Uh, Oregon registration, flying a Canadian flag, owner from Texas. Uh, telling people on the dock that he's going to be uh, spending the summer in Canada. Uh-huh. You know, and that's, that's pretty blatant if you talk to me, yeah. uh, you ask me, because uh, <clears throat> it's a flagrant violation, but they're 
biggest problem is the CBSA only has limited resources. Right. And they're not able to be everywhere, everywhere. And lo- I'm wondering if this is just not a tip of a typical iceberg. How many boats come into Canada in other seasons that don't report in? Okay, it's interesting stuff, George. Thank you for coming on to tell me about what you guys are doing here to monitor these vessels. Appreciate it. Well, uh, our kudos to uh, Dr. Bonnie Henry and the provincial government. Uh, they're doing their best uh, to try and keep this the lid on this. Uh, if we can add to that um, by watching the marine stuff, uh, all the better f- uh, for everybody. Okay, George. Thank you, sir. Appreciate it. No problem. All right, welcome back to the show. Well, the tourism industry in our province has been absolutely battered by the COVID-19 pandemic. They are seeking a big bailout from government, and we'll see what how the government responds to that. But one of the messages from the provincial government to help the tourism ste- sector is instead of going on a vacay, go on a staycay, go on a staycation. That was the encouragement of Premier John Horgan recently. He said he wanted to see a record-setting summer here in British Columbia for domestic tourism. We can't go on vacation around the world, so go on vacation right here in British Columbia. Go on a staycation. Have a listen to this. Here's Horgan talking about domestic tourism. We'll see tourism, domestic tourism, I think, pick up and, in fact, break records uh, as British Columbians stay home and enjoy the, the beauty and, and the, the splendors of every corner of the province. Okay, I think it's a good idea. Now, here he is talking about the B.C. government. He says the government will get behind this initiative. They will actively encourage everyone in British Columbia to try their best to visit other parts of the province. Have a listen. We're going to do everything we can with an aggressive promotion campaign in the days ahead to encourage people to visit every part of B.C. if they've got the time to do so. Okay, maybe you should have thrown in there if you've got the time and you got the money because it can be expensive to go on a staycation in British Columbia. Have you checked out some of the prices for some resorts or hotels? I'm telling you, man, going through the roof. I've checked out a few things in B.C. It is very, very expensive. Okay, my next guest has been writing about this issue for the Georgia Strait. Uh, Eric Denhoff, he's a, a long-serving public servant in British Columbia. He's a former deputy minister and consultant. He runs a, he writes a great commentary here for the Georgia Strait, which I encourage you to check out. I'm very pleased to welcome you to the show. Eric, thanks a lot for coming on. Good morning, Mike. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Now, you wrote a really interesting column about this for the Georgia Strait that got a lot of attention on social media. Tell me about uh, staycations. I think it's a wonderful idea, but you found out it can be very expensive, right? It is a great idea, and it looks like the Premier is right. I think they are going to be setting records around the province, because if you're not careful, uh, you can end up paying through the nose. And there is a real struggle for, you know, working people and uh, and the recently unemployed. You know, how do they get out of the uh, apartment or condo or house they've been cooped up in for the last four months. So I looked yeah. at uh, the typical places people would go, Kelowna, Victoria, Tofino, you know, those kinds of ones. And man, you can you can drop a lot of money to get there. So um, at the worst, Mike, you know, you were, uh, prices were like $750, $1,000 a night for some of these resorts. Whoa. But prices have started to come down. You know, even, even if you're not looking at the long weekend in Kelowna, you can easily spend 300 a night for a three-star motel, you know, something that ordinarily you'd be dropping a hundred and a quarter on, plus gas, plus taxes. So you have to plan ahead and you have to uh, maybe get out of the big centers. 
Yeah, I, I checked out a place just the other day on on uh, Salt Spring Island where I visited before. Just a very small kind of housekeeping cabin, super yep. simple. I had stayed at this place before for like 110 a night, and yep. the prices this right now are 300 a night. And I was like, are you exactly. kidding me? And it was a three night minimum. So you're looking like a thousand dollars just for a few days yeah. in, on plus the your island. Theory, I was like, plus your theory over and back, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's, that is too much. And for like, for most people, like, okay, if you're working class, middle class person, or maybe yeah. you've lost your job or your hours have yeah. been cut back because yeah. of COVID-19, how is anybody supposed to afford that? Well, I think one thing the province is doing is they've opened up a lot of the campgrounds that had been closed. And there's a couple of things you can do. Campgrounds are anywhere from 30 bucks to, 50 bucks a night and up, depending on if you're uh, in a public campground or private. Uh, and so if you've already got tenting equipment or if you can rent it cheaply somewhere, uh, then you can get out to a campground. They've also introduced some free day passes, the province, and, and to some of the popular parks. So that's the other alternative is maybe you can't go to, you know, Tofino in a luxury resort for the weekend, but you can sure as heck go to a day uh, camp, you know, and get yourself into the lake and 30 degree weather and hang out and have a picnic safely and then go home. Uh, I looked at RV rentals. I thought, well, maybe people can go get the camper van or the uh, the RV and get out. Holy smokes, 150, 200, 250 a night plus gas. Wow. Buck, buck 29 again. You know, remember gas had gone down for a while. But I was really surprised. RVs have gone crazy. The people who are selling them have never been busier, they say. And the people who are renting them have never been busier. Everybody wants out of town, so I think camping. If you don't, if you don't have any, uh, you know, money for these, you know, what amount? If your RV is 150 a night to rent, by the time you have add taxes and gas, it's 200 a night. It's no cheaper than a hotel, but you get different places. Yeah, no, that's so I, really super yeah. expensive. Uh, you you yeah. cited some interesting examples there in your column in the Georgia Strait about some of these prices. Now you mentioned um, Tofino, for example, beautiful place yeah. on on the coast, yeah. west coast of Vancouver Island. If people haven't been there, uh, just a gorgeous place, uh, but expensive, right? How much does it cost yeah. to stay in Tofino? Well, there's, they're basically almost sold out for a lot of the summer. I looked at yeah. not just the long weekend, but the ones after. There was one or two rooms left at a sort of two star. I think it was for about four hundred a night. Oh, before before <laughs> that, it was sort of seven hundred a night when there were rooms. So, but what I found is these websites. Uh, the search engines, they just are all over the map. So one one week, it'll say the same unit is 800 or 700 or 600 a night. And a week later or 10 days later, you can find, in Victoria, for example, you can find places for 100, 150 a night. But, you know, okay. it really depends on which search engine you use. And the hotels say, call us directly. We have the best prices, which is probably good advice. And they're, you know, if they're not rented out and it's a couple of days before the weekend, they're going to make you a deal. Okay, so hunt around. You may be able to get a better deal. But do you yeah. think typically, though, Eric, if you take a look at as we struggle through this pandemic, you got the premier encouraging people to get out and enjoy the natural splendor of British Columbia, which I think is a good thing for him to encourage people to do. But does it sort of separate people between you know, like the wealthy and the, and the less wealthy if they're able to enjoy a staycation? Well, I think the I think if people really look around and if they're prepared to go camping instead of you know a three star hotel or something, people can still get out there and do it. You just really have to do your homework. The one group for whom it's really tough are poor people and working poor people who yeah. just they don't have you know five hundred bucks worth of camping equipment. They don't have you know an RV. They don't have the money for a hotel. And for the kids there, it would be really nice if for August there was some you know, free camping, day camps, you know, whatever, that uh, were socially distanced, uh, available 
for, for some of the kids to get out to. And I don't know how we do that exactly. I see a few places are starting to look at uh, doing that. But, yeah, otherwise, uh, we're going to be leaving some people behind stuck in 30-degree weather in their apartments, which, you know, nobody wants to do forever. So. Okay. Are there other options out there? You mentioned camping, and it yeah. was interesting to see uh, you got a lot of reaction to your column on, yeah. on social media and some people pointing out that there are private campground options yeah. or websites you can go where people yeah. are. It's almost like the Airbnb of camping where you can get out and find yeah. uh, maybe some cheaper camping options. There's a bunch. There's ones like Discover Camping uh, BC. There's the uh, Travel BC website. There's RV. I think it's called RV Easy, E-Z-Y. Yeah. Where it's uh, it's almost like Airbnb for RV uh, RVs. People rent them out, and there's lots of private campgrounds out there, and they tend to have more amenities than a provincial one. Some of them will have a pool or a water, you know, slide or whatever uh, for kids. So, you know, it is possible for people. It's just you really are going to have to do your work compared to other years because not everywhere is open, and places that are open. The other thing you don't forget is you can go to Kelowna and spend three hundred dollars a night or four hundred dollars a night for a hotel room. No housekeeping, no room service. They're not allowed to do any of that stuff under the rules. So you're basically just paying for a room and a pillow uh, and change your own bedding if you're staying a week. <laughs> okay. Um, do, you, do you think that uh, with – I think it is – like you said, I think maybe Horgan's right that it, it's a record-setting domestic uh, vacation yeah. season given the fact that a lot of places seem to be booked up or they're jacking up their prices. Yeah. I mean, I mean, at the end of the day, this is a free enterprise system and a free market system. Yeah. People and, and the owners of, of resorts or hotels are allowed to charge what the market can bear. And if they can get away with charging three, 400 bucks a night for a room and people are going to pay it, well, I guess you got to say more power to them, I guess, right? I, I agree. And also, the thing is, they're trying to make up for a really horrible few months. And yeah. they have a lot of extra expenses. They have to do unbelievable levels of cleaning to be uh, in line with the regulations. And they basically have to leave a room empty for 24 or 48 hours after cleaning it before re-renting it. Uh, and so, you know, they're open and they're full, but it's kind of like BC Ferries was. They were full, but only 50%, you know, capacity. Maybe a lot of these hotels aren't able to open up 100% capacity. Some of them can't get staff or their cleaning routines require them to leave room empty. So it's it's tough all around, but I think it will be a record year. And I think if you're careful, you can find somewhere to go. You're just going to have to poke around a lot, make a bunch of phone calls, and maybe lower your sights. You know? okay. Maybe that My- deal you got last year. You know, yeah. Don't forget, you can get the Grand Pacific in Victoria if you phone them direct for probably a couple hundred or 250 a night, which is a four- or five-star hotel right in the Inner Harbor. But if you go on the wrong website, it'll show at four or five or six hundred a night. So you just got to do your homework. All right. Welcome back. Let's talk about smoking in apartment and condo buildings. Now, we talked about this on the show last week. I interviewed a young Vancouver mom. Her name is Mira Orek. She's been a, a guest on the show in the past, and she shared her experience with secondhand smoke in her condo unit. She's a young mom. She's got a three-week-old infant. She doesn't like the smoke in her condo. Have a listen to what she told me. First of all, we're in an older building in Vancouver in Mount Pleasant. It's about, I don't know, 40-something years old. Um, I should say I've lived in apartment buildings for the past 20 years, apartment or condo buildings. In this case, we own the unit. Um, and it, has, it hadn't occurred to me before to check if any of my neighbors were smokers before we bought the unit because I've actually never lived um, next to a smoker, which I think says something about, you know, not a lot of people still smoke inside um, yeah. and, and impact their neighbors anymore. But in this case, uh, we have a few smokers and um, 
the issue is both indoor and outdoor. So there is a room um, in our in our um, condo where smoke comes through the um, ventilation, and the room itself, it's sort of the storage room, is very smoky. You take towels out of there, and they smell. The big, bigger issue for us, frankly, um, is in the summer when we want to have the windows open because it's hot, as it has been the past couple of weeks. And um, I would say every you know half hour to 45 minutes, we find ourselves having to close the balcony door or the window and turn a fan on to get the smoke out because people are smoking cigarettes on their balcony and it's coming straight into our unit, um, making it unhealthy and really unpleasant to, to live amongst. Mira Oreck on the show last week. She is not alone. I got lots of calls and emails and tweets from people who face similar situations. They're in a condo, they're in an apartment unit, and they've got secondhand smoke coming into their home. What can you do about it? Well, it is legal to smoke in a condo or an apartment as long as it's not prohibited by your strata council or by the building where you live. There are some non-smoking, smoke-free condo buildings and apartments in, in around British Columbia, of course, but you heard her say there, and I got question, I got calls and comments about this too. You heard her say that she didn't think there would be smokers next to her. Um, and that's kind of the buyer beware, I've heard. Maybe you should check it out before you buy a condo unit of what the smoking regulations are. I have heard that argument that you get what you pay for and you should do your homework on this before you purchase a condo unit. Now, I also spoke to Jack Boomer about this, though. He's from the Clean Air Coalition, and he's part of a campaign to make it illegal to smoke in all multi-unit residences, condo buildings, apartment buildings, duplexes, triplexes. Have a listen to what he told me. You shouldn't have to be uh, having a checklist of different things before you purchase a building around your health. We live in uh, a place where you know that uh, people should not be playing loud music in the building, and it should also. There's other things about barbecues and other things like that that you just expect that there's going to be common sense rules in place. And so, one of the things is around smoking, and the percentage of people that smoke in British Columbia is very low, hovering between 10 and 14 percent. So many people don't even consider it an issue until it becomes an issue. So we've been encouraging the government to move in the direction of disclosure rules where uh, it wouldn't cost anything, just that, um, that if, people, if it's not a smoke-free building, that the, um, if the realtor is selling the, the unit to say, first of all, was there smoking in the building or who smokes in the building around them, that simple thing would have alerted Amira to, the, to that fact or purchasers to the fact that there may be smokers okay. around them. All right, Jack Boomer there from the Clean Air Coalition. Okay, let's dig deeper into this issue now with my guest, Mario Canseco from Research Company, a very fine polling organization. They've done a recent poll on this issue. Mario, it's nice to talk to you again. Great to be here, Mike, and it's a great topic to discuss, especially now in the summer with everybody having their windows open. Yeah, for sure. And I, You did a really interesting recent poll on this issue. What did you find out? Well, we see that there's a high level of support from uh, most Canadians to ban smoking, whether it's tobacco or marijuana, in multifamily buildings. Uh, the last time we asked, 72% of Canadians said they supported a ban, and only 25% uh, said that they wouldn't. Uh, higher level of support, understandably, uh, coming from women, from Canadians age 55 and over, but also very high here in BC at 74%. And, you know, we know that this is one of the healthiest provinces in the country, 
We know that there's very few people here that smoke if you compare it with some of the numbers that we see in some of the eastern areas of Canada. Uh, so it's understandable to have this high level of support for essentially uh, ending the notion of smoking in multifamily buildings. Okay, it kind of is part of a trend in Canada and certainly in British Columbia towards stricter regulations around smoking in public places, right? So, I mean, there's been all kinds of bans brought in around smoking near public transit or buildings, uh, restaurants, bars, casinos. I mean, we've got lots of smoking restrictions have been brought in, but it seems like there's a line there that the government has not wanted to cross in the past, and that's when it comes to your own private residence. And, you know, there's that old saying, your home is your castle, and you should be allowed to do what you want within your own four walls of your own home. But do you think that this is changing as, as we see lower smoking rates and more smoking restrictions that maybe people are ready for uh, stricter rules around smoking, even in private residences? Well, uh, there is definitely a high level of support for this. And, you know, if we go back to the early regulations related to smoking discussions that we started to have, particularly when it came to sponsorships in the 1990s, uh, the level of support wasn't quite there yet. I think there were a lot of people who were worried about this, who saw it as more of a freedom issue. And when we had some of the stringest legislation that came into place during the Gordon Campbell years uh, related to smoking uh, outside, uh, you know, people didn't react very quickly to it and maybe weren't happy with the notion of something like this happening. Uh, but now we see that there's a lot of satisfaction with this. And 89% of Canadians say it's okay to ban smoking in indoor public spaces. And also 76% who uh, believe that it's good to ban smoking in vehicles occupied by children. So oh. it's starting to get very, very difficult as far as the places where you can actually smoke. But when you have a situation like this in a multifamily dwelling, and you have people who are suffering because somebody else has a habit that you don't, uh, it's clearly time for action. Okay, did you find any differences of opinion when it comes to the age of, of the people you polled? Like, do, do younger people or older people tend to have different viewpoints on this? Well, there's a high level of support across the board, but we definitely yeah. see a situation here where uh, older residents are more likely to believe that this is the way that this should be happening. Uh, it's hmm. uh, interesting, particularly to look at it, from the standpoint of the over 55s, you know, 74% who are saying that they support banning smoking in multifamily buildings, but it's also 70% with younger residents. So it's not a situation as if the millennials are the ones who are saying, this is our freedom, this is what we want. Um, there's a lower level, um, but it's also something that was quite shocking to me when, when, when I looked at the findings. You know, the numbers are quite consistent across the entire country, even in areas that smoke more, such as Quebec or Ontario, when you compare it to the national numbers. Um, they also believe that this is the right way to go. Mario, interesting poll as always. Thanks a lot for coming on. My pleasure, Mike. Anytime.